The reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58. And we're reading from verses 1 to 9. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to, to, to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousnesses will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here am I. We thank God for his word. Thanks, Steve, very much for reading. And uh, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here this morning. Um, we are going to be looking at that passage. If you're switched on, you'll see that um, that passage was read a few weeks ago and we kind of breezed through it. Um, but particularly when I was teaching through chapter 58, I jumped through verses 6 and 7 um, because I didn't feel we could do justice to it amongst everything else. So we're coming back into chapter 58 this morning just to try and focus a little bit more and I hope that will help us. Um, so let's come before God in prayer and ask for his help as we seek to understand everything he has in his word for us this morning. Loving Lord God, I pray simply this morning that you would grow our hearts for you so that our hearts would grow for those who are vulnerable and in need. Please would you help us to understand what role we have as Christians and your church in the realm of social justice and supporting 
and standing for those who are brokenhearted. And please help us to see them as you see us and to love them as you have loved us. Amen. Uh, Those four pictures um, are some descriptions of the way the Bible describes the human heart. And there's lots of different pictures of the human heart. um, But these are four pictures that sort of jump out at us. Um, And I think pictures that have been picked up through the little series in Isaiah we've been looking at. Um, You probably recognize the one on the left. Um, Humanly speaking, we're all alive. Um, I hope you're all alive anyway. Um, But spiritually speaking, many people are dead. And the Bible describes us as having two kinds of spiritual hearts. Um, Hearts that are dead and hearts that are alive, as pictured in that top left-hand corner. And many of you will know the famous words of Ezekiel chapter 36, where God promises his people, I will give you a new heart, and I will put my spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. Uh, There's some of the the most powerful words in the Bible. They're some of my favorite verses. I love them. We've all got two types of heart. A spiritual heart that is dead to God, a spiritual heart that is alive to God. That's one picture. At top right, another picture the Bible gives us of the human heart is that of a kind of source, like the tap is a source of water. Uh, You saw in Mark chapter 7 last week, it's not what comes from outside of a man that makes him unclean, but from within. From within the heart of a man comes. So the, 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 the heart is like a source, isn't it? And good things can come from our heart, and bad things can come out of our heart. There's two pictures. Uh, the third one is that of a compass, a kind of that the heart becomes something that sets our heart and directs us in a particular direction. So you'll know those lovely verses in Colossians chapter 3. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above. And that word there, set, it's talking about direction, isn't it? Where are you going to be looking? What direction are you going to be walking in? And then the last picture, um, just like you have to put fuel into a car so that it can drive, the heart in some senses is like fuel for commitment as a Christian. The heart is what drives us. Uh, You'll know those words in Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your mind, your soul and your strength. It's talking about a kind of energy um, or in Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, Work at it with all of your heart, as working for the Lord, not man. So, sort of different pictures of the human heart. Um, and I hope we begin to see that in this series we've been looking at in um, the book of Isaiah, the one thing I've been trying to stress every week, I hope it's come across, is that God is most interested in our hearts. He's interested in our hearts. That these are the most important things for each of us. Where our heart stands before Him, absolutely <laughs> crucial. Now most sermons, I guess, in many ways, naturally would build towards Jesus because he's the fulfillment of all the promises in the Bible. He's the hope for a broken world. Um, He's a source of all comfort and truth and goodness. I want to do it in reverse. I want to begin with the gospel, begin with Jesus, and to help us to see that as we try to engage with this issue of social justice, we can't do that simply just from the goodness of our own hearts, kind of conjure up a love. It has to be starting with the gospel and let Christ change our hearts so that when we move into a broken world, we can serve him with the same heart that he would serve a broken world. I don't know if you can recall the last four weeks, there have been different descriptions of the human heart, haven't there? In some of the passages we looked at. Do you remember chapter 56? Uh, Israel's watchmen, a reference to the leaders of Israel, are blind. And there was the irony there, isn't it? They're watchmen, but they can't see. 
And because Israel's leaders had got things wrong, so went the people. Uh, You'll remember chapter 57. You burn with lusts among the oaks. You sacrifice your children in the ravines. That was a reference to two of the Baals, the the gods that the Canaanites worshipped. And the Israelites, God's people, began to start worshipping. One was the Baal Ashtoreth, the, the fertility goddess. And there was this belief that if people perform these sort of sexual actions and rites, that the gods would be pleased with them. And the other Baal was Molech, the god of child sacrifice. And we saw these horrible pictures, didn't we, of the sort of things people would worship. And I asked you the question, how did it make you feel? And remember, you were probably thinking in your heart, you worship that? And then we joined up the dots, didn't we? What is it that we worship as an idol? a good thing that's become God in our life. And we've seen time and time again over the last few weeks, haven't we, that the human heart is deceitful beyond what we can understand. And so the point I made last week to try and bring this series to a conclusion was that the amazing thing about the gospel is it reveals God to us, but it also reveals us to us. Because we don't see ourselves clearly like we should. That's the remarkable thing about the Christian gospel. And uh, I showed you these last week. When we've got our understanding right, it changes a conviction within our hearts. And when our hearts have been convicted of something that's true, it changes the way that we believe. But then comes the response. And here was the response we looked at last week. Repentance. Do you remember the pictures? Repentance isn't just saying sorry. First of all, it's brokenness. It's knowing deep within my soul there's nothing I can do with my sin and rebellion before God. Then it's coming to the cross completely empty-handed. I've got nothing to bring, but Jesus Christ is everything to me. Then it was this idea of turning around, a complete transformation of my life as God's Spirit works in me. And finally, a sense of rejoicing. Because when we turn back to God and we let go of all it was that we used to worship, to worship the living God, it frees our hearts. That is the source of the joy that we're all longing for, but looking for in the wrong places. Well, here's one more idea to develop with that before we look at this subject of social justice. We've been thinking as we've taken the Lord's Supper together and shared together, uh, the gospel is all about the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And those two are kind of foundational truths that never, ever, ever change. You cannot have the gospel without those things. But if we're not careful, if we reduce the gospel simply to these things, we can have a bit of an anemic faith. Because we fail to recognise that the gospel starts with Jesus Christ being Lord. He has a claim on the whole world because his world is his. And the fourth chapter of the gospel that we often kind of forget is part of our vision, isn't it? That lives are to be changed by Christ. There's no point having truths if they don't make a difference. And the staggering thing is that the cross and resurrection does make a difference, but often we fail to join up the dots. Um, Just this week I was speaking to a friend and they are aware of somebody who's working, doing some research, looking into the state of our nation. It hasn't been published yet, so I can't give you the exact figures. But they reckon that the vast majority of people living in this country have had some contact with a Christian. Uh, They've seen a church, they know a Christian person, uh, they've had a conversation with somebody who's a Christian believer. The staggering, frightening truth is they reckon that of that huge percentage that have had some contact with Christians, about 90% of them don't wish to have any further conversation. Now sure, there's a spiritual thing going on. Of course there is. But perhaps part of the problem is that people hear this truth, this gospel, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, 
But they are asking the really important question, so what? What difference will that make to me in my life? And we pray that the difference it will make is that our lives will be transformed. So have a look at Isaiah chapter 58, because if you remember, and Steve read it really well, he's getting across the sense, here are the exiles, the people of God who've been taken off into captivity in a foreign land. They started off by lamenting, by crying about their plight. And then after a while, they start crying out to God in fasting and prayer, saying, God, I'm pouring my heart out to you. Why aren't you blessing us? And God kind of rebukes them through Isaiah and says, is that the kind of fasting I require? One day to humble yourself? Is that it? Because what was happening is God's people were outwardly doing all the right things. They were praying. It was effectively as if they were going to their church. They were doing good things that Christians should do. But they knew in their hearts, their hearts weren't for the Lord. There's a danger in our church that we've established this new rhythm of prayer, a new way of helping people to pray. And it's been brilliant. And it's a real privilege to be able to be at all of those different rhythms of prayer and to pray with you. And it's a great joy. I'd encourage more of you to see if there's different things you could come to. But there'd be a great danger as a church to say, well, we've got this rhythm of prayer and we're calling out to you, God, all the time. We want to see blessing. Why aren't we seeing any blessing? Whereas what we looked at last week, there's a great possibility there's things hidden deep within our hearts that we haven't given to God. So we're doing all the right things outwardly. We're praying. We're giving generously to the work of the church. But there's hidden things that nobody sees that's affecting our relationship with God. And we're saying, God, why aren't you blessing what we're doing? Well, I want us to look at three pictures given in chapter 58, verses 6 and 7, that help us to see what a transformed heart would look like. Three pictures. Here's the first one. Uh, Standing up against injustice. Look at verse 6. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? There's huge injustices in the world, isn't there? As Caroline was just saying as she was praying and leading from the front, sometimes she doesn't want to watch the news. Huge injustice. So since the civil war began in Syria in 2011, about 9 million people, they reckon, have become refugees. There's huge exploitation around the world, isn't there? About a billion people, a seventh of the world's population, live on less than $1.25 a day. Of course, $1.25 goes along much further in another country, but relatively speaking, that is nothing. That is gross injustice. Um, they reckon that there are about 20 million people across the world who are slaves to the sex trade. We think that slavery has been abolished. It hasn't. 20 million people who are enslaved to the sex trade because somebody has control over people and sells their bodies for money. Of that 20 million, 2 million are estimated to be children. If you have a child, you can join up the dots. That is horrific, isn't it? That's the kind of injustice we're living with in our world. I was watching the 10 o'clock news last night. They reckon there are half a million people in Libya waiting to get to Europe. Many are desperately scrambling onto boats and drowning. So desperate are they to get out of the world they're living in and hope at least to get to a better life. That's the kind of injustice we live in. And as Christians, is the gospel that we remember and celebrate, is that having an impact on those kind of things? I'm not saying that as a church we can solve these problems, but sometimes these problems are so big that we kind of think, well, I can do nothing. And I guess the challenge is, is that the right response? 
At the very least, we can all pray. But here's the staggering thing. Actually, injustice also is far closer to home, isn't it, than we might like to think. Even in our own village, there's great inequality. There are people with so, so much, and others who are struggling. And perhaps we don't always see it because we're living in a very affluent area. The sheer fact that some people live in a million pound house, some people live in a council house, shows that there's great inequality. Now that's not putting a downer on you if you live in a million pound house. God blesses people in different ways. God calls us to use what we have in different ways. But are we using what we have to be a blessing to other people? Just have a look at that passage. It talks about untying the cords of the yoke and breaking the yoke. That word yoke there is really talking about burdens that are placed on workers. Um, I guess there's all sorts of ways this could be applied, but I want to uh, particularly speak to those of you who are employers. Many of you lead businesses, you're high up in the world of work. If you employ people or people work for you, uh, you have a huge responsibility in terms of the way that your employees are looked after. And as a Christian, you've got an amazing privilege and opportunity to do that differently to the way the world would. You think about the company that you might be responsible for. Say the company really flourishes and you make a lot of money. What does the world do? Generally speaking, it's the guys at the top who take away the cream of what has been earned and everybody else is asked to work harder and longer for less. If you were in Christian employer... Wouldn't it be wonderful to completely buck that trend and to bless those who have worked hard for the flourishing of a company? It may mean that you take a massive cut in your bonus, but maybe that's a good thing. It'd be challenging, wouldn't it? But if it's not to do with just finances, what do you do as an employer to sort of cultivate a culture that means that your employees are blessed, that it's a joy for them to work for your company? In other words... Don't do all the thinking now, but go home and think, what difference will the gospel that you believe have to the way that you lead the company that you run or work for? And I guess there's applications there for all of us in all of our workplaces. But you see, when we grasp the gospel, and it goes so deep within us, we replace greed with giving, and we replace oppression with compassion. I guess this particular verse is speaking about the big picture It's a kind of long-term thing, but more about how as Christians we can be salt and light in the world and begin to slowly change the culture we live in so that the gospel has an impact in all of life. Wouldn't that be amazing if as a church we begin to think about that a little bit more? That's the kind of fasting God has chosen to loose the cords of injustice. But then if you notice as well, verse 7, the second thing is caring for the needy and the vulnerable. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? To share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them. Now that phrase there, and provide the poor wanderer with shelter, literally could translate as to bring indoors. It's this idea that by opening up our homes, it's an expression of us opening up our hearts to take people who have very, very little and be a blessing to them. And there'd be so many different ways that you could apply this. Uh, In many ways, it's a responsive thing. Do you notice the little phrase there, when you see? When you see a need, what can you do to meet it? I think to help you with this, um, try and understand the difference in the Old Testament between different types of giving. There was the tithe and there was the free will offering. The tithe was kind of a set proportion of money that people set aside to provide for the priests who served them in the temple and the tabernacle. 
Uh, it would be a bit like the regular giving that you have, I hope, if you're a regular member of the church, to give to the gospel work of this church. It's a regular amount of money. And it's good to plan that money. It's good to be generous with that amount. In the Old Testament, it was 10%. The New Testament says nothing about what percentage it should be. Uh, I would just argue that because of the gospel and all that Christ has done for us, for most people, 10% should be an absolute minimum. Some people are in a position financially to give away a stack more than that. Amazing opportunity. But that was the tie, the set amount of money. There was also a free will offering where people sometimes were so moved in their heart, they just wanted to give to God above and beyond what they normally would. They saw a need and they just blessed it. That's the sort of thing here where I think we can be a blessing to others. I just want to illustrate that with a pack of Rolos. Chocolate always seems to work here as an illustration. Um, I have this pack of Rolos and, um, you know, when you've got friends like Wellesley and Sally, you can give them a Rolo. And Mark's a good friend. No problem. Madeline? There we go. And we'll keep going. Sorry, you're a friend. (laughs) You look like you're going to miss out there. I'll, I'll go the other way. See, when you're generous, you can give away things. And it's nice to give away Rolos and chocolate and... I know Caroline likes chocolate. I know Karen likes chocolate. I know David likes chocolate. Now, you know, when you have a pack of Rolos, when you give the first one away, it doesn't really cost you much, does it? I mean, it's nice to be able to share a Rolo. But the further I went down this pack of Rolos, the more it was difficult to give them away because I've only got one pack and I've now given almost all of them away. You know how the old advert goes, do you love them enough to give them your last Rolo? My mum's here. Oh, there we go. I definitely love her enough to give her my last Rolo. But if you think about this as a little illustration, though, sometimes we give, and it doesn't always cost us, but the more that we give, not just talking about financially, though it includes that, the more that we give, the more it can cost us, because there's an opportunity cost. The more I give, the less I have. But the more I give also, the more joy I have in giving. And sometimes it gets to the, we've done our giving and there's more to give. There were more Rolos to give and I can keep giving and keep giving until I have my last one. Would I then be prepared to share my last Rolo? I think often we withhold so much blessing from people because we've done our giving, given the top half of the pack of Rolos, but we withhold so much still because we love our comfort a little bit too much. But here's the harsh reality. Even when I give my last Rolo away, for most of us, we've just got another pack. And so actually we can keep giving, but we forget we've got this pack, and so we think we've been really generous to give our first. But the reality is we can do so much more. Now, you can let God's heart prick you in all the ways that he wants to do his work in your heart. It's not just about giving money, though that's part of it. But the point is, when we see a need in the world, do we respond with the heart that the gospel has given us, a transformed heart? I think if the last... uh, injustice issue was more big picture long term changing a culture this kind of uh, caring for the needy and vulnerable is much more short term perhaps responsive you see a need and we're a blessing finally though family responsibility Uh, verse 7 is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen also to turn away from your own to not turn away from your own flesh and blood There's all sorts of things that this could mean, flesh and blood. It could just mean the immediate family. It could mean every other Christian believer in the world. It could mean every human being. We're all made of the same stuff. But there's sometimes a danger, perhaps, that even within our own families, the busyness of our own lives 
and the love and concern we put in perhaps to our own nuclear family, kind of mum, dad and children, and we neglect our wider family. And in the Bible, family wasn't just mum, dad and children. Family was much broader than that. It would be good to think through what responsibilities do you have to your wider family who perhaps live further away. Uh, Even family members who are difficult to get on with. And actually it's easy just to ignore them. But God calls us to allow the gospel to so shape our lives that we love those that we should be caring for. Um, We're living in an ageing population, aren't we? Uh, I don't wish to be disparaging of older people. Older people are an incredible blessing to us as a culture. I think my generation has less and less respect for the older generation. That's not a good thing. But one of the realities of growing older is that often uh, older age brings with it some challenges. Sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's health, sometimes it's just loneliness. What can we do as a church and what could you do as an individual to be a blessing to someone, perhaps even in your own family, who's very lonely? As we come to draw this together... What God is getting at through Ezekiel is he's saying, the kind of fasting I've, I've chosen, the kind of thing I want to see in people whose hearts are genuinely being transformed, is not just ticking a box, I've given, I've done my bit, but a genuine heart transformation that's always looking for need and seeking wherever possible to meet it by the means that God has blessed us. It could be injustice, it could be just caring for the vulnerable and weak, it could be something far closer to home. But to pull us all together... What does the Bible ultimately say true religion is? True religion ultimately, isn't it, is to bring to bear the presence of God on every situation in our life. It's not just what we do in church and then we close the door and another part of our life is a separate compartment. True religion is to take the gospel and for it to outwork in every area of our life. And as we've looked at in previous weeks, when the gospel so captivates our heart, it begins to change the way we think. And when our thinking is changed, it begins to affect the way that we behave. This is our vision as a church, isn't it? One of the vision statements. That's not going to come up. To engage the local community with the love of Christ through love and deed. Engage the local community. And for that to happen, friends, we need to have bigger and bigger gospel hearts so that we see a need and we see people in need as God has seen us in the gospel. So I really want to challenge you. Let's not be a church that just believes a two-chapter gospel, the foundational truths, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let's also believe that Jesus is Lord. And let's take the gospel truths and let's see how we can be light into a dark and broken world. Just going to close with a few words. Someone near you right now has lost his way Someone near you is feeling lonely. Someone near you is overwhelmed. Someone near you is being tempted to step off God's pathway. Someone near you is doubting God's presence and love. The God who is love now lives inside of you, enabling you to love as you have been loved. He's chosen you to be one of his ambassadors incarnating his love in the lives of those he has placed you near. So friends, open your eyes and your heart and offer to others what you have been given. There is no better way to live in this fallen world.